Hi, welcome to another episode of Auto Service World Conversations. I'm Peter Bulmer, owner of Cars Magazine and Jobber News. This is a podcast dedicated to exploring issues facing today's Canadian aftermarket professionals, sponsored by Sirius XM Canada. Sirius XM is making it possible to offer your customers three months of free satellite radio. Go to SiriusXM.ca slash four shops for details. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Auto Service World Conversations. Today, I'm joined by Dave Upsall, CEO of Actify. Dave, thanks for coming on, first of all. My pleasure. Can you tell our audience who might not be familiar with Actify or yourself a little bit about your background, a little bit about kind of how you got here, a little bit about Actify? Sure. So I've spent uh, the last 30 plus years working in the te- what we would call the technical software industry, but it's been mostly focused around uh, software used by manufacturers, either in an engineering or manufacturing role of one kind or another. So you can imagine things like uh, supply chain solutions, things like uh, product lifecycle management or enterprise resource planning. So my career has all been involved in that type of software. And back in 2019, I was asked by the board of directors uh, at Actify to join the company and pull together a strategy for the company that had it leveraging the the products that it had been built over the last 15 plus years that are used primarily by automotive manufacturers. We created a solution for viewing complex design information that is the currency that moves between manufacturers and the suppliers saying, you know, this is the thing that I need you to build for me. And that data is really important to the program management function at an automotive supplier because it's what they use to base their quotations on. And running the program for the period of time that it takes to, you know, get whatever component or assembly it is that that supplier is building into production generally takes about somewhere between six to 12 months. And that is the domain of what we would call program management. Once it's in full production, it changes to a program in flight. And that's not where you see most of the issue or difficulty in handling the workload that, that the suppliers deal with. It's in that you know initial six to 12 month period. So what we realized was is that the suppliers were having just an enormous number of challenges dealing with uh, the relationship they have with their OEM manufacturers and how those programs uh, actually get executed. And it turns out that in most cases, they're using office tools to do that. And (laughs) the difficulty they're having, especially over the last two years, has been as you just can't scale that. It requires uh, a lot more work than what you can do with a spreadsheet, for instance. Right, right. The reason I did want to have you on today, obviously, we were chatting a little bit about it. You mentioned it, but uh, supply chain in general, but especially as it relates to you know automotive suppliers. So, of course, everyone hammers this to death, but the world has changed so much in the last two years. What yeah. do you think the top three challenges are? that are facing automotive suppliers right now? Well, I think the number one challenge that I hear from from our customers is that the number of programs that they are dealing with is grown exponentially. And a lot of that has come from the drive towards electrification. 
So with a lot of the manufacturers, what you see is they're continuing to put forward the existing product lines that they've been producing for years, uh, variations of that. Uh, in some cases, they're electrifying some of those existing product lines while continuing to offer internal combustion versions of the same. You see this, for instance, with the Ford 150. They are having new entrants come in. So companies like Rivian and Lordstown, people like that. Uh, Tesla certainly has been around for a while, but there's been an increasing number of these new companies pop up. And all of that is dramatically increased the number of programs that automotive suppliers are running at any one particular point in time. So you're taking a problem that's been there for a number of years, and it's been exacerbated tremendously because of the pandemic, but then also this same effort going towards electrification. So that, to me, is the number one problem they're trying to deal with. How do I, as a supplier, manage all the work I've got around you know, this increasing number of programs that I've got? The second most urgent problem that I see and what I hear is the labor issue. So in every company that I've visited over the last four months, let's say, which is about 30, every one of them has uh, a multitude of job openings they simply can't fill for any number of reasons. And it's going to be an increasing you know, challenge for them over the next couple of years. Uh, one of the things that we heard pretty recently that's interesting in that area is it's not about, you know, necessarily just compensation, but about the kind of work environment that people have. So that's something suppliers really haven't had to look at before, but the quality of the work experience is something that is also giving them fits as well as just finding enough qualified people. And then right behind that, and I, I do mean these in terms of order severity, in my opinion, the last one is trying to deal with the constant fluctuation in both availability of raw material and also the prices of it. Uh, they are moving constantly on a daily basis, and it's driving them fits. That's, yeah, keeping I would up, say that's the top three. Yeah, keeping up with you know, supply cost. I mean, even for us, as a publisher, just for instance, paper cost, I had a conversation with my printer today, and she said, you might want to consider buying in bulk for the year, because it's so hard right. to find. It's so hard to find, and when you can find it, the price, quote, by the time you actually pull the trigger, the paper is a different cost now. And I mean, it's, right. only, it's only worse for when you're dealing with rare minerals or you know, metals. In the automotive industry, you know, it's interesting because all the attention has been on the semiconductor problem. That seems to be what drives most of the news. But you sit down and talk to the suppliers and start to understand how pervasive the problem is. It's down to simple things just like the resin that it takes to be able to manufacture a part with composites. We have one company that the price of resin tripled, and you know that may not seem like a, you know, a big issue, except they get six semi-loads of that stuff delivered a day. Oh wow! So a small increase, you know, over a large volume has a huge impact. Yeah, and that's why I brought brought up the paper example because I mean, you wouldn't ever think that paper is in short supply. I mean, paper is everywhere, but yeah, it's hitting everything. The suppliers have a, a second order problem when it comes to that because the OEMs that they that that are their customers aren't all consistent about this. In some cases, the supplier is the one that owns the responsibility for absorbing changes, which prior to the pandemic and the supply chain issues wasn't that big of a deal because they didn't they weren't that volatile. 
But that all went out the window. And the suppliers who have contracts where either the OEM is actually sourcing the material, which puts the responsibility on them to be able to deliver it to the supplier, or at least a cost-sharing element in you know a situation like this where you've got exceptional volatility, but that's not consistent across uh, across the industry. And so there are some suppliers that are struggling with this more than others. Right. Actually, kind of pivoting off of that, obviously, we, we, we kind of just mentioned it, but just there's so many changes, there's so many headaches everywhere as it comes to the supply. So what are you seeing are some successful strategies, either that you're recommending you can help with, or that suppliers are currently kind of enacting to help handle the the increased burden of the supply chain issue? So I think the strategies that we're seeing being used for, you know, how they can deal with that come in a couple of different ways. One of them is there's a change that we're seeing in the uh, distribution of leverage in the relationship between the suppliers and the OEMs. So suppliers for a long time were so captive to the OEM customers they served that the OEM customers were able to dictate a lot of things, terms, price levels. They would do things in some cases like uh, place an order for a quantity of a particular component or assembly, and then the OEM only would take delivery on a portion of that, uh, and the supplier would be expected to you know, deal with that. That's changing because there are, when you have an increased volume of programs, the suppliers have more options on who it is that they're going to do business with. And so there's a little bit more competition, for lack of a better word, that's coming into the marketplace, and it's changing you know, where that leverage is at. And what we're hoping to see is, is that opens up a dialogue between the suppliers and the OEMs on changing the kind of structure of the relationship in places where you know, that leverage is kind of exacerbated the problem mm-hmm. that the pandemic has put on us. So that, that's one. Another you know, possibility is, is that they have this ability to, in some cases, because everything is built so closely around just-in-time availability, I mean, literally parts show up you know, within hours before they're needed on the assembly line. There's no concept in, anywhere in the automotive supply chain of something called buffer stock meaning that you have a certain amount of material available or you have a certain amount of finished components available that aren't necessarily being sequenced in the moment, but that if there was a disruption in the supply chain, you would have at least a bit of time before you had to uh, take measures to you know, reduce production or something of that nature. Well, let me cut you off for one sec, because that's a really interesting point that I don't think a lot of people understand or realize. So why is that? Well, in any industry, just-in-time is a desirable thing to have because if you can get what you need when you need it, you aren't carrying around a a bunch of inventory that is a liability, essentially. It's an asset, but you've got, you know, unsold product that shows up on your balance sheet. So the auto industry has been probably more out in front than any other industry that I can think of in this area where the way that things are arranged between the suppliers and the manufacturers is that the manufacturer is able to send a signal to the supplier that says, I need this many parts delivered to this particular plant at this particular time. 
And that's because the enterprise resource planning on the OEM side knows when they need the parts to be able to put that together. Mm-hmm. The supplier then on that trigger, you know, delivers that. And that's why you see in a lot of cases, suppliers building plants in proximity to whatever OEM manufacturing or assembly plant, you know, the products, the vehicles being built in. And it's down to the point where they even know within the space of, as I said, some hours that this part has to be here on the assembly line before the part coming behind it is able to be placed. And so that's a a process called sequencing. So you're trying to, from the OEM's perspective, navigate when things show up from several different suppliers, but only at the right time. And so there's never any inventory any place. The manufacturer is building parts at a schedule that's being driven by when the manufacturer is sending these signals out. And so when you get a disruption at that point, there's no slack in it. There's no slack in the system at all. There's nothing to absorb you know, whatever disruption is happening, if it's a lack of availability of material, if weather uh, happens to, or in the case that we have now, you've got uh, tooling, for instance, for parts that are being manufactured in the United States or Canada, and vehicles that are being delivered in North America, but the tooling that actually produces those is made in China, and it's sitting on a ship someplace off of Los Angeles right now. So something like that happens. Uh, There's no inventory anywhere, basically, in that in that whole process. Well, I mean, obviously, inventory availability and price are all inextricably linked. So there's obviously going to be a price jump at some point, I would imagine, for for the end user. So you or I going to your shop and you know getting a brake job done, just the cost of the hard part is going to have to go up. I can tell you, it hasn't really yet. I just got my brakes done 10 days ago, I think. And it wasn't, you know, more than I would expect to pay in regular times. So there's obviously a bit of a lag. Do you anticipate this going up? And if so, how soon? And by how much? Well, how soon? I think in the example that you were using on brakes and getting a brake job done, the aftermarket works a little bit differently. You know, so you don't have this kind of just-in-time situation happening in the aftermarket. So price increases will show up there based on you know material and that sort of thing. But the effect on new vehicles is different. So the price that you're paying on new vehicles now you know, has already gone up. I just purchased a new three-quarter ton pickup in October that's being delivered later this month. And there's no negotiation on the prices. The prices are 15% right. above what they were a year ago. So we're already seeing the impact of those price increases on new vehicles. I think it's going to take a year before you start to see that in the aftermarket. I think we're going to continue to see the price of new vehicles go up, not just because of changes in the price of raw materials, but I think the suppliers that are actually manufacturing the parts are going to take up that opportunity to pass along the increase in labor costs. They've still got that same problem, labor and material uh, in the aftermarket. It's just that you've got inventory that's got to get flushed out. Uh, and replaced with you know those new products at that new price before you actually see that. I think towards the end of this year is when we're going to see that start to happen in the aftermarket. Mm-hmm. Second last question before I let you go. I don't want to keep you all day here. In your opinion, what's a way that the industry can work together better 
to face these supply chain issues? I mean, we discussed a little bit already, but if you had to have a blanket solution or a perfect world scenario. Well, I think the main thing that has to change is just that balance and the leverage of the relationship. They need to move more to a collaborative style of relationship rather than this dictatorial style that I was referring to earlier. Forget uh, exactly which year it was, but I think it's probably been pushing 20, 25 years ago that Lopez, when he came to GM, kind of started this trend of, from the OEM perspective, dealing with suppliers, uh, I'm going to tell you what the terms are, and you're going to take them, or I'll take my business elsewhere. That doesn't set the base foundation for a good relationship where you can negotiate out some of those issues. So there needs to be a different dynamic in the relationship between those two parties. And I think the pandemic and the supply chain disruption that's come as a result of that is forcing them to have that conversation. It's just going to take some time you know, to work out. Things that they'll need to consider are things like we were talking about earlier. What happens when this volatility creeps into the market or, you know, for whatever reason? That, I think, is probably the biggest thing that's going to enable that, that problem, you know, to get addressed. Well, Dave, I said I'd let you go soon. But before I do, you have one trip up question I'm going to ask you. Obviously, being in the industry, we all love cars. What is your all-time favorite vehicle? Oh, gosh. I'm going to embarrass myself here because it's the one I've just bought. I've been a truck guy all my life, and this 2022 GMC uh, Sierra 2500 is is just a dream compared to what it is that I'm driving now, which is the same truck, probably 18 years older. The changes <laughs> that have been made in vehicles are just incredible. This this one has 15 different camera views, oh where God. the truck I'm driving right now has doesn't even have a camera. Yeah, it's amazing the the speed that you know technology is being pumped into vehicles now, and that's not an embarrassing answer whatsoever. This is a judgment-free zone, so don't worry about that. Well, that's right. going to take us. Dave, thanks again for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot for the opportunity to share my views. I appreciate it. Anytime. My pleasure. And thanks all for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. This has been another episode of Auto Service World Conversations with your host, Peter Bowler. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. And thank you, as always, to SiriusXM Canada for being our title sponsor.